how can I not believe in the power of prayer? For am I not alive right now? Did the nurse not put an ultrasound sensor over my mother's pregnant belly and shifting her hand again and again, sullenly say, I can't find a heartbeat, and then later that heartbeat was found? Prayer works. It is why my heartbeat is happening right now. And this is where vending machine theology breaks down quick. Because God's not a vending machine you just insert your prayers into to get exactly what you want. I don't believe that I was dead and God was up there in heaven saying, I'll only send this one back if I, if I hear enough prayers. And I don't believe that God didn't hear the prayers of people who did lose a child for whose prayers could have been said with more passion. What pure expression of love could God possibly be waiting for than apparent longing for the life of the one they have not yet met? Vending machine theology is problematic and it breaks down pretty quick. And yet, here I am, and there is prayer in my bones, and I was born after it would appear medically I was dead. And even as a kid, I didn't need any more proof of the resurrection because even as a little kid, I was convinced. Does God answer prayers? Yes but it's not answering prayers like a vending machine. So then how can we compare the love of God in responding to prayers? How can we understand the loving attention of, of the creator of the universe, if not in this kind of like transactional one for the other kind of way? Maybe it's an answer that we already learned, but forgot. Maybe it's an answer that we had already learned but had forgotten later. Because truly, prayer comes easy to babies and children. Have you all ever spent time with like babies or children? Prayer is very uh, intuitive. Um, and on a related note, I have had posture experts tell me that how a baby naturally sits and breathes is like how a human body is supposed to like be built. Yeah, I, I, people who work with kids know this, uh, how a, a, a human body is supposed to be built. So if you look at a baby and just how a baby sits on the ground and breathes naturally with their full belly, like that's how humans are supposed to breathe. That's how adults are supposed to breathe. And we kind of like slouch and we kind of like get all, all tight and caught up in our stress. Uh, but ultimately, like, babies know how to intuitively breathe deeply and well. And maybe that is why <laughs> prayer comes so easily to children. Um, but you know what else comes easy to children? Wonder and delight, uh, rage and big emotions, cries for help, and love. And all of those are the basic components, all of those are the ingredients that we need for creating a life with God. That is all we need for prayer. Even from the first cry of a child, that scream pierces through, through the hospital, through the heavens, all the way to the delighted ears of God, proclaiming, I'm alive, I'm alive. And perhaps the most fundamental prayer that we can pray is, I am alive, I am alive. The art of prayer, then, is more an act of remembering than it is about reciting. Prayer is more about remembering what we already know what to do rather than reciting 
kind of the, the next creed or, or gimmick or tool that, that we're taught in church. How did you react when you first saw the sky in its incredible wideness? How did you move when you pressed your small ear against the chest of someone singing you a lullaby? How did you blink your eyes into the first time you saw the light reflecting off of the snow, so bright that even if you closed your eyes, you could see, still see that the world is alight? And maybe you're like me, and you can't remember exactly, but I bet there's a feeling embedded in you, or better yet, not a feeling, but a proclamation that inside of you, even still inside of your cells and in your marrow, there's something that tells you that you are alive. You are alive, and that is all you need to pray. And so breathing in, we remember, and breathing out, we connect. The gift of growing older, of course, is that your love can become more detailed and greater focus. We learn names and backgrounds and empathy. We learn, hopefully, that sharing love is always more gratifying than just keeping it to ourselves. Indeed, even though prayer is about remembering, we don't do any favors to ourselves by oversimplifying prayer or doing, like, I'm kind of, like, dragging Enneagram 4s a little bit here. Like, if we kind of, like, over-reminisce or overly nostalgic about, like, wow, things were so beautiful then, or, or like, we were in such pure happiness back then. Nah, no, eh. Like, that is not how we are going to spiritually grow. Like, you can't turn back into a kid. <laughs> we are an adult, and we have adult faculties, and God is calling us to offer even our adult critically thinking brain to love God and to love each other even more. Like, like the gift of adulthood is that we are getting more and more tools and nuance to be able to love. And, um, and you know, Jesus does have that line that, and, and the Enneagram 4s might come at my neck and be like, well, but what about that, like, um, that line in James that says, um, uh, but you're supposed to have a childlike faith, or what, what about that line in Matthew that says that you're supposed to have a childlike faith? The kingdom of God belongs to people who approach Jesus as a child. But I don't think that Jesus was talking about, like, forfeiting what it means to be an adult to literally become a child. I think that he was talking about that we have to reach back into, our, into all of the selves that we were before this and reclaim all of the skills and wisdoms that we have accumulated up until this point to be able to love God with our full selves. Like we have to include our whole lives in our offering to God, our whole understanding of ourselves, our whole emotions, our whole traits, because and this is an aside, but um, when we become stressed, uh, a nurse told me this great line, when we become stressed, we regress. When we become stressed, we regress. And so, you know, she's working in this hospital. Everyone's stressed out of their mind. Everything is, like, way overtaxed. And she's like, I'm seeing people act like kids, and they're grown adults, and they're acting like children. And that's because when we're, we're stressed, we regress. And <laughs> one of the practices of, of uh, walking with Jesus, with doing meditation and prayer, is to like heal all of the chapters of our story and not just come to God with our current story. Like Sometimes we have to heal the wounds that happened before 
not just like focus on this present moment because when we're stressed, we revisit those chapters. When we're stressed, we become once again those children. And if those children are still in a scared, anxious, scared, um, um, uh, protective, defensive place, then, then that will come out, right? And so like part of, part of healing our story is about healing all of our story even the previous chapters. I believe that's what Jesus was alluding to in um, Childlike Faith. Um, because when we heal our, our previous stories, we can approach God with more like open hand and delight and joy. <laughs> okay, I'm getting way off my talk. Okay, back to the manuscript. Okay, um, <laughs> so um, uh, yeah, yeah. But just as we learned, you know, like as we became an adult, we learned that the world is not as simple as we thought it was, and we learned that our guardian is not always the infallible superhero that we thought that they were, and we learned that um, fairness is not always obvious or straightforward or easy. And so, too, as we kind of start learning these things, that we, that we start to re- evaluate our relationship with prayer. Prayer was really easy for us as a kid, but as we learn more about the complexity of our world and the role that we have in it, we start to kind of to, to question some of the, the ways of prayer. And part of this is because of the illusion of control that we have in our lives. And this is especially relevant for like young adults in early career, like 20s and 30s, I kind of consider myself in this, where we are starting to make some decisions that actually substantively change our lives, how we do actually have a certain measure of control over a lot of things. And truly, um, you know, like part of being an adult is we learn to flex agency in our lives. And so we say like, you know, I am going to choose to live here and not live there. That's agency. That's the sense of control that we have. I am going to use this word and not use that word, even though I want to use this word and it feels so good to just stab someone in the heart. But I know that I can do, you know, that's like the gift of, of, <laughs> of, of adulthood is that we start to like, be able to make choices in our life. And I want to live with this roommate and not that. However, with this rising sense of control, there is an erosion of the impulse to pray. The more, the more we believe like it's all up to us, we have to pull ourselves up by the bootstrap, it's all about our agency, the less we feel this impulse to pray. And I want to be really clear here because I'm not saying that you're not supposed to have a sense of agency in your life. I'm saying that like sometimes intuitively we increase our agency and lower our prayer life but really like the life of faith and the life of spiritual maturity is to increase both of those <laughs> and to see like both of us uh, we do need to take authority for our lives and we need to pray so much and perhaps this is why Jesus said you know blessed are the poor blessed are the oppressed blessed are the mourning because those folks um, are the most likely to be broken from the delusion of control in their lives. Those folks are maybe the most in touch with how uh, there are certain factors at play that we cannot control. Of course, Christians should end to fight poverty in general, but until then, we should listen to the poor, like, a lot, <laughs> because the, the poor have a perspective and a certain clarity that, uh, of how God is moving in the world that privilege fogs us from being able to see. And furthermore, people who grow up with uh, vending machine theology don't need to live too long until they realize, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but like, 
growing, if, if you grew up with the message of vending machine theology, you don't need to live too long before you realize that's not how the world works. Like there are, there are really great good things that happen to folks who don't pray and who even by most human measures are pretty terrible people. Uh, there's good things that happen to pretty uh, violent, oppressive people. And there are also like really, really painful, hard things that happen to people who pray every day. And so like if, if all we have is this framework of like prayer equals God blesses me, then like eventually we see that not working out in our lives. And ultimately it's cultivating, I, th I think, um, this is one of the beefs that I have in general, but like bad theology cultivates uh, uh, passionate atheism and agnosticism because we, when we have a misunderstanding of how we relate to God and then we live our lives and we're like, wait, that's not what is happening, then all of a sudden it's like, well, all of this house of cards is breaking down. And, and I think that one of the markers of good theology is that it can withstand questioning and doubt and, um, and reframing and, and exploring things because it has enough like uh, uh, stability, enough uh, like spaciousness that if one piece is taken out, the whole thing does not crumble down. I used to be asked um, in college, one of the questions I got was, if we could prove to you that Jesus wasn't a person or, you know, Jesus never historically existed. Like if we just could take a time machine and know for sure that Jesus never existed, um, would you stop being a Christian? And I was like, nah, <laughs> because my faith structure has, and my practice has created like experiences of knowing of God through this, this journey with Jesus that of course I would have to change like a lot of things because I do believe that Jesus historically existed. And we have like evidence that Jesus historically existed. But even if that wasn't the case, like something about the cycle of life, death, and resurrection, something about God's mercy communicated through the cross, like that is sufficient for me to be a Christian for the rest of my life. Um, and, and I think that like that's what I want, I, I want for everyone at New City Church, for their theology to not be so fragile that if someone were to be like, I'm just going to take out one piece. What if you can have premarital sex? What if you can have, uh, what if you can dance? Like some people grew up believing you can't dance. And it's like, yeah, if, whether or not that, that individual piece is there, I want your faith to be something that is so solid that you can like continue to entertain those questions while still having a fruitful, meaningful life with God. That's one of the gifts that prayer has. And so, breathing in, we accept the complexity. And breathing out, we seek resurrection in the midst of all of this. I guess the needle that I'm trying to thread here is that in the book of James, we have this line, every good and perfect gift is from God. And John Carlos preached on this last week. And what this means for me is that when I receive something that is good in my life, I thank God for it. But the inverse isn't true. That if something bad happens, it's from like a lack of faith or a lack of trying. You know, I have a family friend who was once told in her church, um, I'm so sorry that your dad died. If you had prayed more, it wouldn't have happened. Was a real thing that was really said to a real person who was really mourning in church. And that's kind of where it's like, oh, okay, we're getting a little, a little twisted around. Because it's like, it's like, 
um, th that is a false reflection. It's like we're looking into a funhouse mirror where like, like one thing is true, but the inverse of that doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. So for example, like every good gift is from God. I do believe that, but that does not mean that if you prayed more then your uh, dad wouldn't have died. Like, like A does not lead to X, <laughs> right? Um, and similar, like that's like saying uh, most residents of the Twin Cities rely on the Mississippi River for drinking water. And therefore, if you have bad tap water, it means you don't live close enough to the Mississippi River. <laughs> like, I think you're not taking into account a couple of context clues to why certain tap water might be bad, right? Like there's a, there's a little bit more to take into consideration. And this like simplistic, reductionistic, watered down understanding of like, it's your fault if bad things happen to you if you don't pray hard enough. I think we just have to move on from that because it's cultivating um, resentment and betrayal for a God who never wanted to make those promises to us in the first place. And eventually all of this spirals together, you know, like this growing sense of control, simplistic theology, um, not necessarily seeing the point of it all, and it leads to prayer feeling like a chore. Sometimes uh, from our upbringing, maybe from unhelpful leadership or unhelpful role modeling, prayer starts to feel like another thing to have on the to-do list. Like, did I pray today? Yes or no? If no, I should feel super bad about myself. If yes, then I need to question if I was doing it right. <laughs> you know, like, like it, it can really start to feel like, like, like cleaning a toilet. And, uh, and it's like, I don't know if that's the nature of relationship that God is seeking to have with all of her children. <laughs> I don't know if God is like, boy, I hope that someone remembers the chore of talking to me today. <laughs> like, I think that there's, if, if the real goal of prayer is to cultivate a certain sense of love and bondedness and relationship with God, then I think we have to move away from this like, okay, it, it is only a task to be completed. And I, I think that, you know, it's, it's, I, it's understandable that, that prayer can feel like a chore because sometimes the results are not reliable. And as adults, you know, we have to ask questions of why we would do something if results are not reliable. If a bus, if, if getting on the, uh, a certain line of the bus sometimes brought you to downtown and sometimes brought you to Duluth, you would not go on that bus very often because it's not reliable kind of where it will bring you. And you wouldn't go to a pharmacist if sometimes they gave you medicine and sometimes they gave you microwaves. Like, there, like there's a certain like reliability of like, what can I count on? And this is where it starts mattering who we are praying to. <laughs> like, a, like a lot of these narratives start kind of like reversing themselves when we start understanding like who is receiving the communication of prayer and who is responding in the communication of prayer. Because if we see God as just like another CEO of heaven who's like, I needed this done yesterday. Where's that report? I want it on my desk. Then like, we'll just feel like yet again that we're capitalizing heaven. You know, we're corporatizing heaven where it's like, we need results and deadlines. And, and I think that God is is trying to create a different type of relationship with us where it's not just about transactions, but it's about transformation. God doesn't just want these like prayers that are like, okay, I did it, God, here you go. But God wants 
a certain type of transformation to happen in prayer. And that's what we have to pay attention to, the God who would like to see us be transformed. Now, don't get it twisted. When I say, especially as a queer person preaching, when I say transformed, I don't mean like God wants to fundamentally change you, or I don't mean you can pray the gay away, or you can pray depression away, or you can, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying like, <laughs> don't get it twisted. I'm saying transformation is like, what happens to you when you become fully alive? Who you would become if you were your fullest, most alive, most connected, most um, uh, uh, energized uh, to love self. If, if you were like able to unclench, if you were able to stop just defending yourself from the world, who you might become. Like that is the type of motion, the movement that God wants to create in your life. And that's where it's like really helpful to read from the Bible, uh, to, to get this understanding of, of what the nature of God might be. And I want to say this as someone who, um, I've read a whole bunch of sacred texts, y'all, of a whole bunch of world religions, and I've studied them, at least academically, and I keep coming back to the Bible because I love how raggedy it is i love how i love how the bible is like i'm just gonna drag you a little bit and you're just gonna have to deal with it like i love how my biblical aunties like shipra and hannah and mary are like boo let me show you what god is like you know and like let me just let me just drop some truth that you're just gonna have to deal with for a lot of your life and i love how you know like old dysfunctional uncle King David, who admittedly does have a lot of work to do, let's like real talk, is an amazing songwriter. And he was able to pass on music and poetry that like illuminates my soul. Like I love having this, uh, the Bible as this like 5,000 year conversation of me being in touch with all of these folks who are really earnestly trying to lay it out in the clearest stories that they know how to tell of the nature of God. And, and of course, my favorite story in this amazing book of stories is uh, the one about Jesus. Uh, <laughs> uh, because the Bible helps us to understand what Jesus was like. And if Jesus is God, now I know that folks who are new to Christianity are like, okay, wait, wait, wait am I going to be proselytized here? Stay with me, stay with me. Um, if the Bible says that Jesus is God, the like God on earth, then we can look at the, the way that Jesus moved in the world and start to be like, well, maybe that's the God who I'm praying to. Maybe that's like the nature of God that I can be in touch with. And so, um, like, when we look at Jesus calling out corruption, that is one of, the, one of the things that we can see God doing. Like, when God is, like, calling out economic, religious, church, uh, uh, and certainly political corruption, systems of corruption, it's like, well, maybe we, we worship God who cares about ending corruption. And when we see Jesus going to the margins of society, listening to the folks that no one else was listening to, and healing and, and creating a sense of like wholeness and in a system that continually tried to break people apart, maybe that's like the kind of God that we're trying to pray to, a God of wholeness. And when we see Jesus literally deconstructing Constructing every power system in society and simultaneously restructuring a new world called the kingdom of God, 
and seeing how like the empire of Rome in all of its military might and domination will never amount to all of God's children being free, but there is a way for us all to be free. Like when I see that type of, of, of difference, I'm like, wow, wow. That's the kind of God who wants a relationship with us. That's when we pray, that's who is on the other side of the line. And when God responds back to us, the way that we can recognize that it's God speaking to us is when, it, when we feel a little bit more alive and a little bit more motivated towards liberation, when we feel like a little bit more capable of being an agent of change in the world. That's how we know that our prayer life is alive. And I think about, um, have you all ever heard of the neurology people are better at this, like mirror neurons, mirror, mirror some things, where it's like, like kids naturally like um, refl uh, reflect the, the face of, of the people that they're looking at, like their facial expressions, the people that they're looking at. And those never go away. And so like when we're empathizing, when we're in front of someone crying, it kind of makes us want to cry. When we're in front of someone who's mad, we, it kind of makes us want to be mad as well. Um, and uh, this happens for like everything, right? Like people who start looking like their dogs, you know what I mean? Because like their face is kind of like puckering like that or like people who start picking up the mannerisms of their partner. Listen. <laughs> Brian and I, uh, uh, during the pandemic, Brian and I spent basically 24 hours, seven, 24 hours of seven days a week with each other. And slowly we realized that we were creating like our own mini language that isn't actually English that we just talk to each other. And so for example, um, a mannerism that Brian brought into the relationship is he would abbreviate things by letters. So if, he's, if he wanted to say, um, I, uh, I'll put dinner on the table, he'll say, I'll put D on the T as just like a, a little mannerism. And, and, and so, or like, I'll take out the trash, I'll tee out the tea. And so soon, we're just, after 24, I did not do this pre-pandemic, but here I am in 2020 and 2021, and I'm like, I'm just gonna tee out the tea. And I'm like, I am literally inventing a language right now. Like, no English learner would know what the heck we're talking about because of the mirror neurons, y'all. We start to like become what is in front of us and the act of prayer is to behold God, to behold Jesus, and to slowly start to become like God and to become like Jesus. To, the reason why we read scripture is like the reaffirmation that God is a God of liberating love. And then the reason why we pray is because we want to mirror ourselves with God so that we ourselves can embody that liberating love a little bit more every day. That's why we practice prayer. And of course, we have supplication, which we'll talk about in the sermon series, thanksgiving and adoration and confession. Like all of those are important movements of prayer. But ultimately, the end goal is that we're trying to become a little bit more like the Christ who walked 2,000 years ago because he set into motion a movement that we want to be a part of. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to be part of this movement. And so, um, uh, do I have 
Yeah, and so in this sermon series, we have four different types of prayer. And on the back of the, of the handout, there's four different types of prayer right here. So if you're new to Christianity, if you're not sure how to pray, we kind of suggest an outline of um, there are four different types. You can take your pick or you can make up your own. Welcoming prayer leads with emotions and identifying emotions as a method of prayer. Centering prayer leads with silence and using silence as a method of prayer. Praying with the Bible starts with scripture. And engaged prayer is what we call like anytime you're prayerfully doing any activity. So like going for a walk or knitting or working out or climbing a mountain. Like how to cultivate a mindset of prayer as you're doing kind of these other things. These are kind of the four that we keep hearing our community come back to again and again in surveys. And so um, we invite you every day to do one of these or make up your own and, and then start tracking it. Because I do believe that God is a God of transformation and that this will change your life. That slowly the mirroring that goes on in your life will start to make you look a little bit more like Jesus in the world. And that doesn't mean that you won't have suffering in your life and it doesn't mean that hard things won't happen. It does mean that you're gonna be an agent of change that the world is desperately longing for and that you are a part of a movement of people who is um, ancestrally seeking something that is much larger than ourselves. And eventually, you ready for this? I believe that if you pray like this, prayer will stop being a chore, God will stop being a store, and you'll start wanting prayer more and more! Okay, y'all. Blessings for this sermon series and blessings for our time together. Amen? Amen.